The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 21 to 41. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. He gathered them together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this temple of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him, and even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent, him, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the people prompted Alexander, who the, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis? and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then, that, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. Thanks, Christopher. All right. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I ask that you would uh, help me make Christ, make much of Christ, and that he might increase and I might decrease, and that we would see him and see the truth of the gospel, even in this story, and that you would uh, 
Help us pay attention to it and believe. It's his name we pray. Amen. If I were directing um, a Netflix show, because, you know, they come out like every five minutes now, um, called The Ephesian Mob. This is like a whole series of the book of Acts, and then this episode's called The Ephesian Mob. Um, it would begin with like this zoom, like this, uh, this uh, drone shot, kind of really wide drone shot of this ancient city, and it would say Ephesus, right? And Ephesus was some 250,000 people, and in the ancient world, it's a lot of people. Um, this massive sort of city right there in what's known as modern-day Turkey now. It, the, the name of the city of Ephesus is now called Selçuk. It's a real place. So we're zooming in on this ancient city, and the closer that we get to this city, we see this temple up on a cliff overlooking the city. And the temple is the Temple of Artemis. Ephesus is the city of the, the great goddess Artemis. It's one of the wonders of the ancient world. This temple is four times the size of the Parthenon. That's how big it is. And as you, we then move the, 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 the camera shot, it moves down from the temple down into the city and you zoom in more and more and there is this um, theater, this arena that could hold some 23, 25,000 people. The closer you get into it, it's filled with hundreds, maybe thousands of people shouting this over and over again. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it says for two hours. That's a serious chant. That's like a lot of energy of chanting. That's some angry, violent stuff. What, to me, that would be a great way to start an episode. Because you're watching and you're going like, why is this happening? Why are these people so angry? And why are they saying great is Artemis of the Ephesians? What is behind it? And here's what the episode would be about. It would be about the contrast between the kingdom of the world, the system of evil and death, and the kingdom of God. The contrast between their power and their methods. So stark. And those are our two points. The power and methods of the kingdom of the world and the power and methods of the kingdom of God. And then we'll have one point of application. So let's just go. Keep in mind, like, have this sort of like movie inside you. This, because this is wild and violent and intense stuff. This is scary stuff. First point. The kingdom of the world. Little recap. Says the Apostle Paul has gone into Ephesus. He's preaching the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel. Verse 20 of this chapter 19 says, The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That is, the hope of all hopes is beginning to burn bright in Ephesus, and people are turning to God, and they're turning from their old religions, their old practices. And there it said, verse 23, there arose 
no little disturbance concerning the way. It wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. Probably because Jesus called himself the way and the people of the way. And what is this little disturbance? As Christopher read, we find out something. That the kingdom of the world and its methods and its movements are always about money. You want to boil it down, call it a bunch of other things, it is the economy stupid. Always. It is. It's about money. That's the reason, that that's the reason there is a riot. They're chanting this. And there's a man named Demetrius who probably is the head of the silversmith guild. He's a super important guy, super powerful guy, and he made these silver shrines and he oversaw the making of these silver shrines in honor of Artemis that were used for home altars and offerings that could be presented as often as once a day. He's selling a lot of them. And what's so fascinating to me is in verse 25, it said, These he gathered, Demetrius gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Translation, we're making bank from these temples. All of our money, like we're making tons of money. Business has been really good. It's been good. It's been good. Here's what's fascinating about this. It's a disguised greed. And the way he disguises it is this. He, he says, and you see and hear not only in Ephesus but almost all of Asia that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods, i.e. our shrines. And there is, listen to this, oh, this is my favorite part. There is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, which is the most important thing, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. He's like, do you hear him saying that? Like, look, I'm going to say it again. This is affecting our bottom line. It's really affecting our bottom line, this preaching, and people are not buying our things anymore. But like, look, hey, if you don't like that, like, people aren't even like, like, Artemis is not even being honored, if you don't care about that. So what he's doing is, and John Stott puts it so beautifully, a vested interest was being disguised as local patriotism. His, he wraps it in religiosity, but at the end of the day, it's about, it's about the cheese. He even says that not only will she lose her good name, but the temple will lose its prestige and she will lose her divine majesty. And I'm sure he really cared about that. I'm sure he did. We'll never know. But there's this subtlety to the kingdom of the world. You've got you to kind of like slow down enough to realize that at the end of the day, it's about money and it's about power. You can wrap Christianity into it. But it's a greed machine that is truly at work. Not devotion and true piety. It was money. Now, you can kind of get it. Look, if Nashville is Music City, Ephesus, Artemis City. So 
Thousands and thousands of pilgrims came to Ephesus every single year, every single day, and every single week like bridesmaids on a southwest flight from Philly. I mean, they're selling shrine after shrine, right? Now imagine if we were to lose that status, to lose our status as this place, this tourism spot, this music city and all this stuff. It would have a trickle-down effect. And you feel that, right? You feel that. But the city of the world, the, the, the kingdom of the world, it is primarily about that. So it's not only about money, it's also about mobs, numbers, sheer numbers. Comparing the way with the Apostle Paul, his disciples, and then the number of people that they get going over just in a matter of apparently few minutes is pretty, the contrast is just amazing. How many people that are so for this instantly And then how small, comparatively, the kingdom looks. These mob of people. So this theater where they are, this arena where they are, it would hold something like 23,000 people, just to put that in context. Um, An average night at a Preds game is apparently 18,495 people. So this could have been like a Preds game number of people. And I think the point maybe that... Luke is giving us over and over again throughout this gospel, throughout this this book of Acts, the gospel according to the Spirit, movements need mobs. They need them. The kingdom doesn't. And if you reflect on history of how many violent forces began with massive mobs of people, good things sometimes too, but most of the time real bad. Reinhold Niebuhr, Niebuhr, the 20th century Catholic priest, said that groups tend to be more immoral than individuals. And there is this mob here, like a rogue thunderstorm that pops up out of nowhere and it wants blood. You never see the gospel going forth this way. Bullies. It says they take them by force. They grab them and they take them by force and they hunt for Paul and his friends and they smear other people. And I think the, if I can be the old man, get off my lawn person for a minute about social media, my kids roll their eyes, but let's think for a second. Where do we see a mob mentality bully state the most? It is on social media. How many millions of people can tear another group or another person to shreds, not the kingdom of God, the kingdom of man, and dehumanize. Mobs are rooted in poisonous fear and violence and threats of violence. It's, this story is reminiscent of Jesus with Pilate before the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. That's one of the things that Luke is also picking up, making the comparison here. And that's what they do. And that's what we've always done, humans. What's fascinating, too, is this mob not only is based on just sheer numbers, it's also confusing and chaotic. 
Number th- uh, in verse 32, it said, Some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and some were yelling one thing and some were another. Most of them had no idea what was going on or why they were even there. Isn't that an amazing, I love that detail. They're like, hey, there are a lot of mad people. I want to be mad too. It's like this pile-on mentality. Tell me that's not happening in our world. Of the absolute insanity, it doesn't matter what side you're kind of on, of this pile-on mentality. And here's the point. That's not the way of the kingdom ever. That's the way of darkness. Jesus said that you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or fig figs from thistles? Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Here's the thing. You will know a group by the nature of its leader and the nature of its leader and leaders. And if you see death and destruction in their wake, you will know them by their fruits. There's always been a myriad of movements in this world begging for our allegiance, saying we must follow them, some of them in the name of Jesus. But if they're marked by death, fear, violence, threats of violence, and dehumanizing others and inciting riots, they're not from Jesus. (laughs) No, they're from the flesh. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. You know what? That's, that's from Galatians chapter 5. Those are all lists of the, the deeds of the flesh. The systems of death. Riots are never a fruit of the Spirit of God. But now let's look at the contrast of the kingdom. Look at the kingdom of God. Verse 20, the Lord, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Prevail mightily. How is he doing this? Well, the first thing we see is Paul was, Paul loved the city of Ephesus and he was beloved by the city of Ephesus. He did preach against idolatry. He told them that that was, they weren't real gods. They were made with, they were made with human hands. They aren't real. He told them that. That was a scandalous thing to say. He wasn't trying to try to get followers. He wasn't manipulating anyone. He was just presenting the Hebrew scriptures and saying that Jesus of Nazareth was the fulfillment of them. He was proclaiming the gospel as a law-abiding Roman citizen. And he let the gospel do all the work. Here's a point. The gospel is offensive. You don't need to help it. You don't need to help it. The gospel's offensive enough. Get the gospel in front of people. Get out of the way. It's offensive. This is also true of Paul and his friends. They were dragged into that theater. They were dragged into that theater for preaching the gospel, not for being bad citizens. But how do we know that they were beloved by the, by the city? The town clerk quieted the crowd. The town clerk, not a believer, he was a follower of Artemis. He was a true Ephesian. Listen to what he says. Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis? He would have gotten a round of applause by that. 
And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. That sounds kind of cool. What is going on there? Sacred stone, that's sci-fi stuff. Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious or blasphemous of our goddess. Do you hear that? He said they're, they're not just like being blasphemous or sacrilegious. They're good citizens. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen and have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. Do you see what he's saying? Courts are open. He can do something like this. But here's what the clerk says is, if y'all don't stop that, we're going to get shut down and be in big trouble for starting this riot. The clerk has observed that Paul followed Ephesian law. Yes, he preached the gospel. People didn't like it. People got really, really mad. But here's the point. He loved the city by being a good citizen of Rome. So much so that these, these Asiarchs, it's a technical term for a local political official, really powerful person, they're the ones that tell Paul he can't go into the, into the theater. They save his neck. They loved him. They cared about him. The kingdom of God means that we live in the city, and sometimes as St. Augustine said, the darker the city of man is, the brighter the city of God is. And we do that by being a subversive force faithfully present within this city. Loving it. So how was Paul getting this gospel out? Here it is. We hear in verse 8 of this same chapter, in verse, uh, and in verse 9 of this same chapter, that he had been arguing and persuading about the kingdom of God in synagogues. So he's going to synagogues and he's preaching the gospel. And then also he was in a place called the Hall of Tyrannus, a lecture hall that apparently he rented. And he was giving lectures about the gospel. That's what he was doing. How reckless. How basic. This is like so boring. He was having a Bible study. That's what he was doing. He was in this place as a law-abiding citizen, and he was having a Bible study, and he was telling people about it, and God's Spirit, through this word, was changing people's lives. It's that unspectacular. Religious religions and movements, they need clamoring mobs, and they need large numbers, and they need noise, and they need power, and they need money, and they need influence. And they need size and they need terror to stay on top. They need horsepower and constant feeding to keep the fire lit. But what we see here is an unimpressive physical man, apparently, that, that Paul was, who had severe sight problems, giving compelling lectures about the Old Testament text, and was convincing some people in the lecture hall of Tyrannus that Jesus of Nazareth in Israel is the Messiah and the King of the world. That's what he was doing. The gospel was doing all the heavy lifting. He preached the gospel of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And many of them were so deeply transformed that they decided that they didn't think that Artemis was really a good God anymore or really even real anymore. And so they didn't need Artemis anymore. And they started to follow this Jesus. All because he was preaching the gospel. And here's the point. The gospel is the power of God. 
Romans 1.16. The gospel isn't about the power of God. The gospel itself is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. But here's, that power always looks weak. Christ Perez, that power, and this is how God wanted to do it, to the world, it looks insignificant and weak. So much so that Jesus says it looks like a seed. He compares it to a seed. The kingdom of heaven, this message is like a seed that is thrown into the ground. And what kind of seed? A seed, it, it, a seed has what's called quiescence. That means it looks like it's dead, but it's resting. It doesn't even look like a thing. A seed of corn is one one-hundredth of an ounce. That's almost not even a thing. It's like a little pebble. Poof. But you drive through Arkansas in the summertime, and you see oceans of corn as tall as a basketball goal. But it all starts here. And what does that seed look like? It looks like nothing to the world. Jesus Christ was an uneducated, homeless carpenter who gathered around him the poor and the crippled and the demon-possessed and the most infamous sinners in, his entire, in, these, in, that, in that town, wherever he was, they would start following him. Those were his first followers. And he died a horrible, disgraceful death and was considered a curse from the Jewish establishment who always hated him, the powerful, educated people. Talk about two strikes against you in the bottom of the ninth. It's always looked that way. It always looks stupid. Jesus had women who were his equals and valued members of a community and were his first eyewitnesses and children were blessed and children were not seen as blessings in that world in the, in the sense that they were cute or wanted. Jesus held them up and said, such is the kingdom of heaven. And now the chief proponent of the way of Christianity was a former terrorist who killed Christians. It's quite the rap sheet, isn't it? But Jesus said this kingdom like a mustard seed, like a mustard seed. He says that this mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds when it's planted in the field, the smallest of all seed when it grows becomes the largest garden plant. It becomes a tree so big that birds come and nest and make nest and perch in its branches. One one hundredth of an ounce. Insignificant. Small. Not big. Small. And on this planet right now in 2023, mid-year, 2,604,381,000 people would call themselves to some, some version of Christian. Ah, that's because it's true. That's because in the words of H.G. Wells, he said, I'm not a historian. I'm, I'm a historian. I'm not a believer. I'm just a historian, but Christ is the most, un most unique person in the history of the world. You cannot write a history, he said, of the human race without giving first and foremost place to the penniless teacher of Nazareth. That's the kingdom of God. Accept its method. So what? I'll close with this. Two things. First, God's at work, Christ Perez. 
God is at work. This is, uh, this is our most cherished philosophy of ministry truth in RUF. This is why I got in my Honda CRV and I drove to Hillsboro and I would sit and meet with brilliant 19-year-olds who made 36s on their ACTs. Had no idea why this old guy was on campus. Why is he there? What is he doing? Why would I do it? It's because God was at work and God is at work and God will be at work. That's the only reason. We work because God's at work. And here's the point. God has been at work in this church. God will be at work in this church. He is at work and he was at work. He is at work. That's what he does. It is not dependent just upon us. And you see God at work here in unspectacular ways, in hidden ways, in ways that look ridiculous, in ways that don't look powerful or loud, and all those different ways. But God works through little Bible studies that seem so insignificant to the world. They are how the gospel power of God goes forth, even right now. You know what that means, too? Preachers come and preachers go. I'm just going to, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. i got nothing to lose. You're in a weird spot. Elephant named. You're in transition, right? I'm so sick of hearing the word church. We're in transition. We're in all these things like that. Like, oh, my gosh. Okay, you know what it means? It means you're in a weird, awkward, insecure time as a church. The reason I know that is because I've pastored a church and it was dysfunctional before I came. It was dysfunctional while I was there, and it's, defunct- it's dysfunctional now. You know why? God's at work, and he works through really broken people. Preachers come and preachers go. It is not the significance of the people, the person. It is this gospel clearly proclaimed. It is not the man or the woman or the person that is teaching this gospel as much as it is the gospel that is proclaimed, that is clear, that is timeless. That is what changed the world. That is what will change the world. The gospel is the power of God, not us. And I'll tell you, preachers, we are, we are some of the most insecure, neurotic people on the planet. You already know that, don't you? Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. We are. And one of the reasons I'm even a a preacher is because I preach passionately to you because I so passionately want it for myself. I need it so much. And so I think something that just to be a good reminder for a church that's going through this is get over yourself and get over preachers and get over the expectation you're going to find one that's going to have a silver bullet. They don't. They're idiots. Cheer up. The gospel is the power of God. And so like, that's what this church is about. That's what this church has been about. It's what you will be about. So we can pray to God to continue to do that. We're not about the noise and the mobs. We're not about those things. We're about doing the faithful one foot in front of the other as imperfect people loving Jesus and loving others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the the privilege to preach and for this church and how you have loved them and how you sustained them. I pray for their leaders. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would 
just give them a fresh sense of the simple goodness of your gospel. And so as they make decisions and as they move forward, that they would be reminded that it's all about you. And it's in your name we ask and pray. Amen.